And just want to take a second and thank Policy Genius. They're supporting today's episode of Success Story. I know we all have kids. We all have families we want to take care of. And I personally check something off major on my to-do list, life insurance. It's a tough topic. It's really hard to think about, but it's so important. And the hard part was sorting through all the options. Luckily, I found Policy Genius. Policy Genius is an online insurance marketplace that makes getting life insurance surprisingly easy. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Now, knowing my family's protected brings me incredible peace of mind. Don't put off this important decision. Check life insurance off your to-do list in no time with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Welcome to Success Story, the most useful podcast in the world. I'm your host, Scott D. Clary. The Success Story podcast is part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network, as well as the HubSpot Podcast Network. Now, the HubSpot Podcast Network has other incredible podcasts, like the Salesman Podcast, hosted by Will Barrett. Now, if you work in sales, or you want to learn how to sell, or peek at the latest in sales news, check out the Salesman Podcast, where host Will Barron helps sales professionals learn how to find buyers and win big business in effective and ethical ways. Now, if some of these topics resonate with you, you're going to love the Salesman Podcast. The psychology of the perfect cold call, uh, successful cold email trends for 2022, the four-step process to influencing buying decisions, or the digital sales room, the future of B2B sales. If these topics hit home, you're going to love the Salesman Podcast. Listen to the Salesman Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Today, my guest is Ian Tien. He is the CEO and co-founder of Mattermost. Mattermost delivers high-trust collaboration to leading enterprise companies on a vibrant open-source platform. Thousands of companies trust Mattermost for vital communications across web, PC, and phone with archiving, search, and integrations with hundreds of business applications. Think about it like Slack plus Notion. Uh, They won the 2018 Gartner Cool Vendor Award. Uh, Previously to Mattermost, Ian founded Spin Punch. It was an award-winning online video game company whose titles were played by millions of people across 190 countries. He was formerly VP of product at FlickMe, a movie streaming startup backed by Sequoia, Warner Brothers, and Sony. Before that, he ran product management for Microsoft SkyDrive and Windows Live Photo Services, which is now OneDrive. And he also led product management for Hotmail. Previous to that, he led engineering teams from Microsoft Office and its enterprise software business across SharePoint and business intelligence product lines. So he has an exceptional engineering and tech background, but he also has a really strong sales and marketing background. Surprise, he made an incredible CEO and he built Mattermost into what it is today, raised multiple rounds of venture funding. We spoke about his origin story. We spoke about Mattermost, the problems that he's solving, why he chose to go open source versus proprietary, comparing open source versus closed source, scaling up a startup, finding your first enterprise customer, finding product market fit, scaling up an open source company, monetizing open source versus closed source, the problem that he was solving for, how to find a problem in the market that will actually uh, that will actually create a great business opportunity. We spoke about remote work, um, why Mattermost fits into the remote work stack, why it's the 
end-to-end solution for remote work and why we all these point solutions that we currently have are not going to be the future of remote work. We spoke about um, everything from sales to marketing to raising money to hiring and retaining great talent. We spoke about culture. We spoke about um, security. Uh, we spoke about evolving trends and building businesses. So we went into everything tech, everything startup. If you like any of that stuff, which I'm sure you all do, you'll love this. Uh, you'll love this podcast. Let's jump right into it. This is ENTN. CEO and co-founder of Mattermost. So when I was a uh, I was in, I was a kid in elementary school, my mom uh, made a career change from being an accountant to being a real estate agent. And as she was making this change, she would listen to you know sales training tapes in the car, um, driving us to school. So, you know, I'm this little kid and every time I get in the car with my mom, there's Zig Ziglar and sales training and motivational tapes and how you're you know, responsible for your own career. So, you know, as a kid, I was sort of just um, indoctrinated with this like idea of, of being in sales and, and going and, and building businesses. And, uh, and that just kind of always kind of stuck with me. Now I did pick the engineering route. I did pick computer science and, and sort of like the STEM things. Cause that was really important to, uh, uh, my parts of my family. And then, you know, putting those two, two together really, it ends up in a career around technology and business. You had, um, so you're interesting because you, you are an engineer, like you are technical, but you grew up with a, a sales background. So when you decided to start your first thing, you probably mitigated a lot of the problems that a highly technical founder would have, which is you build a great product, but then you can't sell it to anybody or you don't know how to put it out into the world. And a great product is one thing, but then obviously getting it out there. So even walk me through like your your career journey that brought you to Mattermost. Like Mattermost is not the first thing you've ever done. So walk me through that progression in your life and then we can go into why you started Mattermost. Like why was that thing that you wanted to go into and double down on? And that's what you built a, a huge, like a huge, your personal brand has now been built around this incredible success. But what was before that? Yeah, so that's a great question. I'll maybe talk about a few waypoints. And we talked about, you know, starting off as a kid in that sort of, you know, listening to the sales training as my mom was just becoming a, a real estate agent. Um, I joined this uh, program in high school called Junior Achievement. And we had these little sort of micro businesses. And you learned, you know, how to all what a financial statements look like. And we sold these candles, went to the dollar store, bought a candle for a dollar, wrapped it in cellophane with the label. The label said Meltdown. It was kind of a brand. It was just a little label. And we sold them for like $8. I'm like, oh, they learn about margins and you learn about inventory and cost of goods sold. That was in high school. And you know, kind of had the bug for entrepreneurship. You know, as I went through college, you know, worked internships at, at different companies. I worked at E-Trade. I worked at Trilogy in Austin, Texas. Um, worked at a startup in DC and, you know, had a lot of experiences. I ended up um, after college going to Microsoft, and um, and there I was there for about five years. I was an engineer in, in Microsoft Office. I got about a dozen patents from from that experience. I moved over to the strategy side and product management in Outlook.com and, and OneDrive. So you know had the had the sort of enterprise Microsoft Office experience, moving over to the consumer side. And um, and then I went to business school. You know, if I was and, and um, if I was good at life, I would have need school. But you know, here I go again. <laughs> Um, and through B school, I end up, uh, starting, you know, tried a lot of different ideas and I end up on one that was, um, on, on video games and on online games, free to play was kind of blowing up. 
and and at the time, you know, HTML5 was this big promise. And in in B school, you know, with a friend, I put together this um, HTML HTML5 game engine. So we'd use JavaScript, and we'd be um, we would basically use JavaScript, 2D Canvas, a lot of the HTML5, you know, um, affordances, and we could create these. Uh, these games online that didn't require Adobe Flash. This was back in 2012. We're like, hey, this is real cool tech. You know, what can we do with it? And then, um, and then we got into Y Combinator right after B school, uh, and was there for three months. And at the end, you know, with that video- company, with that yeah, company? with that company, with the video yeah. game company, it was called Spin Punch. So we were part part of um, Summer 12 uh, at YC, and that's with um, Coinbase. Brian Armstrong was in there. Approver from Instacart was there. The Zapier founders, you know, Wade and Mike. Um, they were there and, you know, clever, uh, lever, uh, boosted boards, just, a, it was a great, uh, cohort. Paul Graham was, um, was still running it back then. And, and we had these, these video games and this HTML5 game engine, and we couldn't figure out how to monetize the game engine. It's like JavaScript. No one wants to pay for JavaScript. Could you license it? There's no subscription revenue. What do you do with it? So, you know, at the end of YC, we couldn't quite figure out what we were doing, but the video games we created as prototypes at YC, they were making $1,700 a day. So we're like, maybe there's a game business, there's a business here, but you know, it wasn't subscription revenue. It was, you know, content-based, it was free to play. It was, you know, not the the most sort of canonical, you know, uh, investment there. Um, but we ran that game business for about three or four years. And what happened was, um, and you know, it's, it's kind of chugging along and it's kind of fun, but games are like a ton of work. It's like hundred hour weeks. It's, you know, consumer is 24 by seven. It's like SRE and SAS and, you know, micro payments. It's just, it's a art pipeline. It's kind of crazy doing a games business. Um, and as we were doing this, we're all remote and we started using um, this, this online workplace messaging tool. It wasn't Slack. It was something before Slack. And this company was a startup. It got bought by a larger company and um, the system started breaking down. Um, it would, it would crash. It would lose our data. And we grew like really frustrated because all of our 26 gigs of, of our data, of analysis, our game design, our artwork was all in this remote work platform and it was failing. So um, we tried to export our data and they wouldn't let us. And when we stopped paying our subscription, they paywalled us from our own information, which was wow, wow right? Like, um, and at that time we had about 10 million hours of messaging in our own games. We're like, we, we can build messaging. So, you know, we, we wrote it about three times and we ended up open sourcing, you know, the, the latest version that we were using and that open source project just took off. That was Mattermost. And, um, you know, our first, uh, customer was, you know, very, um, successful electric car company, um, that, you know, really said, Hey, there's an enterprise business here. And, um, and after that, we got, you know, Samsung, we got a, a number of really great customers. We got the Department of Energy and we just, wow, like this is, this is something that's on fire. Um, we raised, you know, 20 million Series A, a 50 million Series B. And, and here, here we are now, you know, just continuing to grow. And it's a little serendipitous, um, but it it's really good. comes from, yeah, it, <laughs> it really good. comes from what the market needs. So, so yeah, so walk me through, so when you start this, you I love, I love this story because it's such a powerful story. The entrepreneur that finds the problem in the industry or the vertical or the category that they're in and they solve that problem, they build out that solution. So the landscape now, obviously post COVID, I'm sure there's a, a much more robust landscape for that kind of software. But uh, when you were going into this, you had one that was obviously not 
playing nice with with you and your team uh, and they were paywalling you and it wasn't it wasn't the best possible solution so when you built something why did you feel the need to, walk me through the concept of open source i understand the concept of open source but walk me through why was that important for you because you were working for microsoft which is like if I'm not mistaken, I'm not a developer, but I mean, like, that's all proprietary. That's all closed source. That Microsoft's not a company that adopts the open source mentality. And, and many other software companies don't as well. Um, so you went into this open source. You still found a way to get enterprise customers, paying enterprise customers. How did you take this to market? How, how, what, was, what, what made this successful outside of a great product, which is obviously important? But what were the other things that made it successful? Yeah, that's a great question. I think there's um, maybe just to talk about that in a couple of categories. The first is, you know, how do you find product market fit and, you know, how do you serve that need? And I think that um, a lot of engineers, they look for like intellectual logic. It's like, what is the market? What is my analysis? And what works for me is an emotional reaction. When you see an emotional reaction, there's, there's, a, there's a need. Uh, so for us, when we were on a messaging system that was mission critical to us and it went down, there was just an emotion response like, oh my gosh, like that's that's not okay. And when that's not okay, it's like, okay, what do I do to fix this? I'll Like we will take money and we will fix this because it's so important to us. Where do we put our money to fix this problem? So, you know, that's a signal that people really wanted. You know, Slack is super popular. So Mattermost right now is an open source alternative to Slack and Notion. So Slack and Notion and Trello. So we were these... We were an open source alternative that that goes across many categories, and you know, for us, you know, why open source was important or why controlling it was important is you, you can't have downtime, right? When you're running a twenty four by seven SaaS service, when like we weren't venture funded, we were like this was kind of like our money. Um, yeah. We just can't have downtime. We can't you know lose revenue. We can't have an outages for for our players online. So we just had to control it, right? Like, I mean, the average company has five hundred SaaS services that they're using. Like if everyone's got a 99.9, you know, if they're down 0.1% of the time out of 500 products, it's still really bad. So we had to control everything and we had to make sure it was up all the time. So we solved their own need. So that was um, super important. And then also, you know, on the data side, because, you know, when you're typing these things into real time messaging, like who knows where they go? Do they go on someone else's computer? Can anyone else read this? Like that was a big concern for us. And we just found out that like there's a lot of engineers that have the same, a lot of engineers, SRE teams, SecOps teams that have the same need. They're sort of like, oh my gosh, I have to control my collaboration platform because, you know, I want to make sure it's always up. I want to make sure all the data is I control. I want to make sure that I can extend it and customize it based on what, what we need um, because it's so mission critical. So I think one sort of follow the emotion. And, but still, help me understand. Oh, sorry. Did you have, go ahead. No, I didn't mean oh, to interrupt. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> and the second thing about open source is, um, you know, you're hundred percent right. And you called it out. Like I was at Microsoft during the Steve Ballmer era, which is probably the most, you know, one of the most anti, if one of the most, if not the most sort of unopen source cultures you can kind of come from. And, um, where, uh, and I actually, it comes from this person, um, Sid, uh, from Sid from GetLab, the founder of GetLab. Uh, which is another sort of open source um, DevOps tool chain. We were at a YC event and I was running my games company and I was showing him on my phone this thing Mattermost that is, you know, for messaging and, and why we built it. And, uh, and Sid said, you should open source that. And I'm like, coming from Microsoft, no understanding of open source, like, why would I do that? And his logic was really powerful. He said, if it's a prototype round, he spent three months on it. 
if you uh, open source it and it's popular, you can always close source it. You didn't really give away that much, but you'll know that it's successful. You know that people will want it. However, if you open source it and no one cares, you should just stop working on it. Because if you give the whole thing away for free and no one cares, then it's kind of over. Go do something else. And uh, and, was, and those are just a really you know powerful mm-hmm. um, kind of explanation. So we tried it and people really cared. And then we created this, this business off it that was mirrored a lot off of GetLab. GetLab's licensing structure, its business model. And, and Sid was great. He's like, just just take, just copy this. Just do everything we do. Just like read our terms of service, read our license, just, just copy the whole thing. It's all open source. And that was GetLab's culture. And we've, uh, we've built a lot of our culture off of that concept of openness, that concept of like, yeah, that's the point, right? It's like, here's, here's something that, here's software in the world and it's open source and you can build on top of it and you can just generate, you know, a lot of value versus like a thousand companies rebuilding the exact same thing and, and, you know, just wasting all that productivity. No, just open source it all, let people build on top and top and top and, and make the world better. So there's a wonderful sort of um, double bottom line with open source and, and open source businesses. Um, I think it's very interesting because I find that, and I, I want to understand the conversations that you had with VCs when you were raising money too, because you've looked at tons of businesses and you've seen obviously that many are proprietary, many are closed source. And if you even think about like non-software businesses, they're always asking for patents and, and IP and what do you have protected? And so when you scale this up, I think we're on the same page, but many people could be listening saying, oh, that could be a liability to the business. So when you think about scaling up an open source, what are, what are, what are, the, what are the things that you think about? What are the conversations that you have with a VC that's investing that allows them to wrap their mind around something that may not be what they're used to in terms of I've invested in this and technically anybody can see what it is. And technically anybody could just copy that source code and go start their own company. That's a scary thing. So how do you solve for that? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. We actually have an FAQ for investors. Um, and one of the FAQs, it. I'm actually, it's, and it's public, it's in a handbook. And I'm actually looking at it right now. What, keep, what keeps other companies from using your open source software to create their own offerings that compete with your paid products? Um, so that's a great question. And um, we've used, we actually use the, uh, the acronym tactical. So tactical is the acronym. It's like that every letter is a reason why they can't, you know, fork us and use our own open source software sort of against our business. Um, the T stands for test infrastructure. So, um, you know, there's a lot of test automation that isn't open source. So if you go and fork us, that's great. But like, if you change it, like it's, you know, we're not op- like, there's a lot of um, our test infrastructure. A lot of it runs on something called Rainforest QA, which is a proprietary SaaS service where they actually have humans like help test. There's no way to open source that anyway. So, but but the fact that the test infrastructure isn't available open source means that you can fork it, but you have to rebuild all of that. So um, that's the T. A is alignment in terms of the architecture. So the features that developers want are free because you know that's that's for developers. The paid features are more for IT pros and executives. And guess what? Developers, if they fork us, they don't like building the compliance features. They don't like building the exec dashboards. So that's another reason um, alignment of, of the business model, right? So the free stuff, like try not to like, don't monetize developers. Like there's not a business model that's like, if I get 1% of the developers then you know it'd be a big business. That's not a thing. It's the opposite. It's like you will militarize every developer against you. You know if you if you kind of don't if you kind of build it that way. So alignment's really important. Uh, the C is for core committers. So making sure that all the people in the open source project are employed by us, which is you know a really healthy way to grow the team. It's like you you look like a you know you're core committing. Like do you want to work here? And they're like yes we do. 
So that's uh, that's excellent. The T is for threat intelligence. So what happens is um, most open source projects that are sort of responsible will have a responsible disclosure policy that they take security uh, seriously. So if they discover something in our code base, there's a very you know industry standard responsible disclosure policy. This is how you contact us. We'll verify. We'll tell you if it, we think it's a bug or not. We'll release the security patch. Um, we will give. We will be 30 days. We'll release the patch. We'll tell people there's a security um, patch that's coming out. We won't tell anyone what it actually fixes or what the vulnerability is until 30 days after the release. So our customers are, our customers and our community are safe. And then we disclose what it is and we credit the person who did the report. So, you know, that's the very standard um, systems about, um, about how you patch vulnerabilities. Guess what? If you forked us, no one's reporting those things to you. And, you know, when we release our patch and tell people what it is, then the, the forked system has a day zero vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why, and that's the reason a lot of reasons people don't fork, um, eyes for innovation. So we have a very high velocity every month we ship new features and new improvements. So, you know, to fork that and to keep up with the innovation is very difficult. Um, C is compatibility. So as you upgrade, um, all the upgrade scripts are for our genuine software. If you fork it, then the upgrades won't work and you can't install our security patches and you know, you can't like, it's going to take a lot of effort. Um, A is for architecture. So it's very like the system itself, it, there's very little reason to actually fork it. So I'll give you an example is our entire front end, right? Can be without any forking can be because the APIs are open, you can replace our entire front end. So, which is like, wait, you're like a, you're like a Slack notion alternative. Like, why would you replace the front end? So we had an open source project over in, um, one of our government customers, um, or or is, is is in the public sector. There's three engineers that rewrote the Mattermost UI in Haskell, in ASCII art to have a terminal interface to to Mattermost itself, almost like replacing IRC, which is incredible. They didn't have to fork us. They can actually just build a, a module that interacts with with Mattermost. So the A is for the architecture, um, and L is is for licensing. So licensing is uh, the Mattermost trademark is we own the Mattermost trademark. The, the code is open source, but we own the trademark. You can yeah. fork it. But you can't call it Mattermost, so you know that's that's more work, and you know you don't have the brand recognition. So that's so Scott, that was a, a long answer, but the the, um, the acronym is Tactical, and um, and we have it you know documented in a handbook. This is if you're building an open source business and you're talking to like investors, you know there's a lot there's a lot there, and um, and I and this is built because um, we we've seen things kind of go sideways with other you know the elastics the reduces the mongodbs they had to change their licensing there's the you know the cloud giants that come in and we've kind of thought of that from our inception and tactical is is the framework we use i just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode hubspot now pies taking candy from babies both things that are theoretically easy but anyone who's made a pie from scratch or attempted to pry a lollipop from a screaming toddler knows these things are in fact very difficult. But you know what is easy? Integrating, automating, and scaling your business with HubSpot. Now the HubSpot CRM platform seamlessly transfers customer data into usable insights. Like what's the average time it takes us to respond to a customer service request? Or how can we get better at it? The HubSpot Service Hub brings all your data and support channels in one place, so your team can spend less time hunting for information and more time delighting customers. Plus, seamless connectivity with marketing and sales hubs means every person on your team has a crystal clear picture of your customer. Easy as HubSpot. Learn how HubSpot can make it easier for your business to grow at HubSpot. 
Com. No, I love it. It's smart. It's very smart. And actually, the other thing that I think about when I think about open source is you've built this community of people that are always like pressure testing your software. So talk to me about security. Talk to me about why open source. I've watched a couple other interviews you're in and, and just the security point I think is important, more important than ever before with the amount of people that do get compromised. So when you roll this out and when you build an open source project, is it more secure than a closed source? Yeah, that's a great question. I think uh, it, I think you know, it, it's it's not it's many things. It's not just the open or closed model, right? It's the investment okay. on security. It's you know your internal process. Security doesn't come down to you know one or two things. Um, the way that you know you think about there's sort of three principles to think about in security. One is um, nothing is secure. There's always going to be vulnerabilities. All you can do is kind of move those around. Um, so that's that's one. And when you're open source software, you have a lot of visibility and your customers are very motivated to work with you on security. Everyone runs this, you know, the secure customers. We're in public sector. We're in like U.S. Air Force, right? There's like 20,000 U.S. air crews that rely on Mattermost in order to fly planes. And the security and the, the rigor that we go through is, you know, at, at that level. Um, and then you'll find us in many communities that have very, very high security standards. So I think that community and that understanding that, yeah, all software is vulnerable. We've got transparency and people can report to us and we have a system to address that. That's all super important. So I think that's one on security um, that is for the open source model. I think the second is really about, there's a second principle, which is the effort that goes behind a breach, right? That goes behind an attack is proportional to the value of that breach. So what that means is, you know, if you can think of like, hey, I've got everything in this giant cloud system, like everyone in the world uses this cloud. Great. Guess what? There's going to be like an infinite amount of like resources that will be dedicated to breaching that like mega fortress, right? And you know, all they need is a crack in the armor and they're going to be going after it. What open source and, and self-hosting lets you do, we can do either cloud or self-hosting, but what it lets you do is go is is put that behind your own defenses right so none one your, your data is not mixed in with all these other you know honeypot targets you've got you know your stuff is off the side and it's behind all your other security and the only people that are breaching it are the people that want to breach you not breaching you by accident by hitting somebody else um so i think that's uh that that's the the second piece um and then the uh the third is is really just about um the dedication to security so um, one thing that I'm actually personally proud of is is our security team and and how it works with uh, how it works with the community. We just brought on um, a wonderful person, Jerry Perello, who was the former CISO of the New York Stock Exchange as a, as an advisor. So you know that's just an example of how much we we care about security. And and he you know he he he's, he he doesn't hold back you know when, on his opinions and what we need to do. And it's it's super helpful. Um, and um, what I'm really proud of is you know just a uh, a little while ago, we discovered as we're because we we vet all this all the software that kind of comes into Mattermost, and we vet it very carefully. As we were vetting a certain um, library for uh, SSO SAML, SAML SAML authentication, we found uh, we found a vulnerability in the GoLang language itself in the XML parser. And this, and we're like, wait, this can't be true. And we looked at it, and we're like, oh crap, this is true. We never we never you know that never went into. We were never exposed to that vulnerability. Our customers are not exposed to that vulnerability, but there were a lot of other people that used Golang and used SAML SSO that had a vulnerability. It took us three months working with the Golang team and working with the downstream libraries to figure out how do we do a coordinated disclosure. So the coordinated disclosure is 
tell the like we create the patch Mattermost itself not the golang you know folks but we create the patch itself we created you know an, a reference for for how to fix it we went through a very time series we told the downstream libraries we got them to prepare patches we told the people private and public companies and government institutions that were exposed to this vulnerability um, that it was there so that they can fix it quickly and then we did a public disclosure so we did it in a responsible way we cascaded it we gave people time we let people know it was it was important and this was a big deal like it would you know one of the tech giants you know had to had a delay uh, one of almost had a delay one of their uh, launches because of because of this issue so um, you know that's what it means to be part of the security community and yeah. and really participate in not only the safety of our products and our customers but of the, the general software community in itself so I think when you think about you know what it means to be great at security I think it's not one or the other it's about you know how do you what is the, the whole story about your investment security um, also and that's the fact that, that like keeps things safe. I was going to say, it's also the fact that it's, it comes down to the culture of the company and where you put your focus and attention to. So, you know, it, I think it's probably less about closed versus open and more about how forward thinking and looking the company is and, and where they want to spend their time and attention. I think that both both could, but if somebody is so, so hyper-focused on building the best possible solution and is so hyper-focused on security all the time, like you said, like you're probably, you're probably leading the way in some security and uh, in, in some of the things you do for security that any other company could do, but you're doing it just because it's a focus of yours. That's like sort of the, the takeaway that I get, but I want to, um, I want to pivot. So now we've, we've spoken about like the, 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 the engineering side of the business, but also you know, the fact that you landed large enterprise customers starting a new company is, is also very impressive. So when you're taking a product like this to market, you just casually said, we landed an enterprise customer. A lot of people would love that to happen to them when they're trying to take a new SaaS product to market. So how do you take a product like this to market? You, you understand you've solved a problem that you have. But how do you identify your ICP, your buyer persona? How do you go in and how do you sell that first version when you have no other customers? What was your what was your first customer strategy? How did that close? Um, it's really about building something that people want. I think there's you know there's a simple algorithm to teach at YC, which is like you know talk to customers, build product, you know exercise, and and exercise basically stay healthy, right? And that's that's so yeah. important because like people can burn out. But talk to customers and build product like that's the loop. And I think what happens is people don't realize how powerful that is. Um, and, and talking to customers and just saying, it's like, well, hey, you came to our website, you know, we open source Slack. Well, why open source Slack? And it's like, oh, we need this for like data you know, privacy, like full stop. And we need this SSO feature and we need, we need this. And it's like, would you pay for that? Yeah, we'll pay for that. Like, that's it. Like, that's the market discovery. Just, you know, put something on the web, create, like we use discourse as a forum. So we just like be able to talk back and forth. You know, we email, hey, contact us form. And people just fill out the contact us form. Maybe like, okay, well, here's here's what I want to know. Like, why 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 are you interested in Mattermost? And like, and then you just put that down the dropdown list. Oh, it's a hip chat replacement. Oh, it's for like, you know, we have, we're, we're deployed the free version. We want to get, you know, the, these paid features. So um, it's just conversations. And as you have more conversations you can you can speed the conversations you can have them you can categorize things so just don't stop talking to customers and then don't stop building product and then you know always stay healthy that's really important and do those three things it's magical how quickly you can move i think people they get especially in the early stages they get very distracted they're like oh should i be speaking at a conference oh should i be talking to investors we spent very little time talking to investors um and everything just you know and and, and the thing is investors 
don't really want to talk to, I mean, yeah, they want to kind of talk to the founders, but they really want to do is talk to your customers, right? So then, you know, whatever logo list you've got on your website, they're going, they're back channeling. They're like, okay, what do you, why do you, why'd you buy that? And then when they, the good investors, when they're ready to talk to the founders, they're, they already have the context. So um, just build a great business and, and don't worry about like networking and speaking and, you know, just, just talk to customers, customers. build the product, like the, it, and the a feedback loop for that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when you're scaling up uh, and, and you, you're technical yourself, but one of the things that I thought was interesting um, and one of the things that is interesting now, at least for me, because I came from uh, a SaaS company where we had a lot of, uh, we had a lot of difficulty with this, but hiring great talent and most importantly, development talent um, as a startup, when these are just obviously uh like these are numbers that I, I can't verify, but I, you know, you see the, the Netflixes of the world paying 300,000 plus for a developer, a software engineer, and, and, and then some, and then you look at some of the, you look at some of the salaries in the Valley, like how do you find and scale up great talent and retain great development talent when you don't have a 20, 50 million plus dollar investment? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm like, so the people that are money motivated, great, go be, go work in hedge funds, right? Like just, you know, don't even think about Netflix, just go straight to hedge funds. Like, and, and because they make a ton of money and, you know, they don't really create that much value, but like, you know, you're basically advanced day trading, like go create, you know, high, high velocity training, uh, trading, right? Like there's, if you want to make money, just go make money. If you want to build great software, if you want to, you know, think about, you know, the impact that you're going to have. If you're thinking, think about the personal growth that you're interested in, whether it's a technical, whether it's the languages or it's, you know, being on the manager track or however you think about it, you know, what, what is growth? Um, that is, you know, that's just a different frame. Think about the, with the frame we have is impact, it's growth and it's connections, right? Connecting, connecting to the um, other human beings that are in, that are on the mission with you, right? So um, for us, you know, the impact is about being open source. Like you, you write it once and if you do it right, like it never has to be written again, right? Like we have, if you're going to do an open source Slack, open source Notion, open source Trello, um, and, you know, coming up sort of open source, you know, huddles, right? Clubhouse, we're, we're adding the audio piece too. You know, once you build that and it's an integrated suite, like it never has to be built again. You've, you've made your mark in software history. Like if that's important, you know, that's that's one of the pillars that we've got at Mattermost. The second one is, is personal growth. Half of our managers at the company are promoted from within. So, you know, that track and that dedication to enabling managers and making them successful is also, you know, super important to us. Uh, and the third is, you know, we have staff in 20 countries. We have contribute, we have 4,000 contributors in the open source community. And it's the ability to sort of like, you know, walk off a plane in like, you know, 20 different cities around the world and have people greet you at the airport, have your friends, you know, show up. And I think that that connection, that like concept that's like, oh, yeah, people aren't like machines in the in the in a, they're not cogs in a machine that they're here with other human beings to go build something that's meaningful together. You know, that's you know, that's the people that we want. So if there's people that care about, you know, we spend most of our life working and if impact growth and connection is important, that's what your life's about, then we want to work with you. If your life is about, you know how many Netflix options can I have in my portfolio, then you should work for Netflix. When you, 
when you try so what are some of the strategies that you use to find people like that um 56% of the staff at Mattermo 56% uh, of our hires come from referrals so the people that are like hey i love working here this is really great you know that's that's more than half of our team. And I think when you um, you think about NPS, Net Promoter Score, it's like when people really enjoy working here and they tell their friends and they get you know more and more people in, like that, those are the best hires. No, no, I was oh. going to say, so yeah. you focus on, you focus mostly on referrals and then you were going to say something else. Sorry, I think we're like, there's like a two second delay, so I never know. Go ahead, yeah. sorry. You know, so referrals is is um, referrals is the majority, and we'd love to continue that and, and keep going because that really means that people enjoy it here and love it, and they're they're bringing on you know all the folks that they know. The second biggest source in the, in the early days definitely was um, the open source community. Four thousand people contributing, and you know, just saying, "Hey, let's work together. Like, let's let's do this professionally." So, um, a few months after we uh, released our, our our commercial version. Um, we got this person who pinged us and they're like, look, I've, I've never contributed open source before. Um, but I would like to contribute a, a translation infrastructure for every string in your system. Like I, I have got this pull request that localizes everything and I've translated everything to Spanish. Um, and it's 10,000 lines of code. Would you be open to this pull request? which is kind of banana. So what happens is this person was working in South America and their company was reselling Mattermost, but it had to be in Spanish. So this person actually translated all of Mattermost the right way, not with hard-coded strings, but with the actual infrastructure. Um, but every month, you know, we talked about why it's difficult to fork Mattermost. Every month we're pushing out new features and innovations. It took them a week to like merge it back in. So um, it was in this person's best interest to offer that upstream so that we could, you know, put that in the product, make it better for everyone, and make that person's life easier. Um, we hired that person, um, so you know that's just a great way, you know, to to say because it's it's a great offer. It's like, well, just stop what you're doing and want you work on the main mainline product rather than derivative. So that's that's another great path to hiring. Do you do you have any tips for because you've built this exceptional community and you've done it because you've built an open source um, an open source focus focused company, but do you have tips for entrepreneurs that would like to tap into the same power of community? Any any things that you've done to foster a stronger community? Because you mentioned as well, you know, if you go open source and nobody cares, then maybe you should start something new. But but you never know. You do have to put an effort in to try and build and foster that community to see if and even give it a chance. So maybe for somebody who like isn't open source, how there's easy there's obviously open source is an easy way. But is there other other things that you do to build and and sort of support that community? Yeah, I think there's three key principles. Um, I think there's clarity, speed, and safety. So clarity is saying, this is how you become part of our community, right? For us, it's like, if you want to be a developer, here's like hundreds of backlog tickets that we're not working on, hundreds. And you can pick one of those tickets and go work on them. So that's that's clarity, right? And it's like, if you don't have a ticket, we're probably not going to accept it. So don't go and spend a whole bunch of time. Like, this is not Linux where like, you know, you spend a bunch of time, write something and everyone poo-poos on it in a public forum. This is, here's your tickets, go, go, they're all approved, like go pick one of them and do a project. So clarity is really important. And then how the process works, like what the expectations are on, on feedback and reviews and all those things, so clarity. The second is speed, right? Like when you see, when you see an open source project, you know, get back to you quickly versus like over weeks or months from a volunteer system, it just creates a totally different dynamic. Like people understand, it's like, yes, like I work really hard and there's like looking for like a thank you or like a, an emo emoji, it's like, and it means so much to have that that speed and responsiveness. 
Um, and the third is safety. Like people don't understand how important safety is to the open source community. And, and safety happens on a number of levels. I mean, there's also the, there's the code of conduct, of course, but it's also that you don't get rejected. Being rejected is actually, in some open source communities, the norm, right? Like, like some parts of the Linux community. For us, like I think it's the worst possible experience you can give a developer to reject their pull request. And I, I would consider any pull request that's rejected um, our failure, not not the contributors, because we have to have the clarity, like all clear. Here are the tickets. Here's our style guide. We have linting automated. We have you know the code, code, go format. All these all these tools to get in the right way to help you get a pull request that will get merged. So if it doesn't get merged and you did all the right things, that's like that's completely our failure. So people have to feel safe. What engineers want, they want they want to complete a closed problem from A to B, and they know that if I go from A to B and I do my work. You will do your part and, and merge the pull request. So um, that kind of safety that people's time won't be wasted, that you know they can uh, participate in an environment that's very inclusive is, is so important. So clarity, speed, and safety. And I think that's applicable to many other domains. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it, each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. Hiring as a small business owner is a major pain. That's why LinkedIn is supporting today's episode. You need people with the right skills and experience, but finding them can take forever. It is incredibly frustrating to keep seeing candidates who just aren't a good fit, and that's why LinkedIn Jobs has been a game changer. Let me tell you a little story. We needed to hire a graphic designer, somebody with specific tech and software knowledge and the ability to truly understand our brand. And I started with all the usual job boards, and it's the same old story. Tons of irrelevant applications. No one's really matching my needs. I tried LinkedIn Jobs, and the quality of candidates was just on another level. People with impressive portfolios, relevant expertise. I finally felt like I was interviewing the right people. That's truly the power of LinkedIn's massive professional network. You're tapping into this huge pool of talent you simply wouldn't find on other sites. It's about finding those niche candidates you actually need. And with the right people in front of you, hiring becomes a breeze. Did you know that 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate on LinkedIn Jobs within 24 hours. That is how well their system works. Honestly, do yourself a favor and try LinkedIn Jobs next time you're hiring. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash excellence. That's linkedin.com slash excellence. Terms and conditions apply, but it's definitely worth trying out. 
I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information, but Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay, and what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch U.S.-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text SUCCESS, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. No, it's very, very smart. Um, and and the last thing that I wanted to sort of get a, a, a an understanding of, you work in, you've built a product for the remote work 
worker. You've, you've built a product for the reality that everybody has faced in the past two and a half, almost three years, God forbid. But so what are some of the evolving trends? Like if somebody is building a business, how do people like to work? What are the best practices? What are the tools outside of Mattermost? What are the tools and resources and 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 nuances of remote work? Because you're you're living in it every single day. Yeah, I think that it's um, it's evolved. We think about three ages of remote work, right? The first one started in the 2000s. Like, oh, we have email. That's amazing. We have email and we have intranets. Ah, oh, we've gone digital, right? Like, you know, 2000s, that's, that's kind of like basic communication, basic remote work. I think the second is um, maybe 10 years ago, we came up with the point solutions, right? So it's like, okay, I've got my, here's my email client. Here's my voice and video client. You know, here's my, uh, you know, here, I've got a ticketing system over here and I've got like a um, incident management system over here and here's my compliance thing. And where I think the third age, where we are right now, that needs to happen is really integration of the suites, right? Like you need a suite. And the reason is because there's way too much time wasted between, well, I got a message over here and I got a ticket over here. Let me reformat this and put that over there. And and let me like add, let me, let me off into my Zoom so I can have a call. It's just, it's so much extra work. It's, it's toil. And, uh, and it's, it's a really a broken experience. Here's the analogy is that imagine you took like a, like a physical building and then you had like the conference room and the hallway and the whiteboard and the sticky notes from all different vendors. And before you could touch the doorknob, you had to like off in and put your MFA and like, okay, well, I'm in the, I'm in the hallway off the off in. I have to put my MFA and it's like, oh, you're not allowed. Do you have permission? Can I go in the hallway? Like that's the, that's what it feels like today to work remote. And how it should feel is just one system, everything's integrated, all the permissions are integrated, all the formatting is consistent, and it's all built to work together. So if you go back to the, you know, the, the late 2000s, 1990s, it was inconceivable. It's, it was, you know, today it's inconceivable. You have email, address book, and calendar as three different apps. It's just like impossible. It's like I would never, no one here would use that. And, and that's kind of like remote work today. It's all point solutions, your email, your address book, and your calendar are all different. And like, it's just, it's, it's going to get way, way better. So I think the integration of the tools uh, and having a smooth experience is absolutely, like, that's what the world deserves. And surprisingly, I think open source is actually delivering that faster than proprietary. And, and usually in the past, open source is lag, but, you know, open source Slack with open source Notion those two things really need to fit together in terms of formatting, in terms of, you know, workflows and open source is going to be do, able to do that faster than closed source. Well, I was going to say, because I, I agree with you like wholeheartedly, but I, it's always the issue of when you build an all-in-one anything, it's, it, there's an exceptional amount of work that has to be done because you have all these points. The world is full of point solutions right now. Um, but where you're taking matter, like that's, so I, I see where your vision is going to be for, for your own company. Like that's what you want to build for the world. That's the goal. Um, is, is there any, just for people to draw a reference point in any other uh, software suite, would like what, who's done this well before? Like, would it be like Adobe with like the creative suite? Would it be like, what, who else has done this very, very well that even you would be like, I want to, I want to create remote work tool sets similar to how this company has done it for this category? Yeah, that's a great question. Google and Microsoft easily. So here's the thing, Microsoft, because I came from Microsoft, is all open source internally. You can see all the source code internally. Google, same thing. 
but it's not public. So here's the thing. It's, it's actually easier to build a suite than the point solutions. Why? Shared security, shared authentication, shared permissions infrastructure, you know, shared scaling, shared database, everything's shared. And it takes, you, you take away set like the, to build like five point solutions probably costs, you know, two to three X as much as building an integrated solution. And that's why, you know, the suites from these, these tech giants are so powerful. They're open source internally. You have all the source code. You have a lot of reuse. And that's why it's so powerful. So what, what you do is, okay, how do you compete with the tech giants? Open source provides that platform completely transparently. People can build applications inside Mattermost the, the same way we can. Like we have no competitive advantage in building these. So when we built open source Notion inside of open source Slack, it was built on the same platform. It's technically a plugin. And then as we build incident management, right? So this is, you know, how do I escalate SRE issues and have dashboards reporting on all my outages and performance metrics? That's, that's an application that gets plugged in. So the difference is, well, imagine Microsoft Office was open source. Imagine how much innovation you could create when developers can solve their own problems. Imagine G Suite was, was open source. People are like, well, you know what? I don't like this button. I want to change this button. They create plugins. They can, they can, they can manipulate however they want. But imagine that you know, G Suite itself would absorb the innovation from the community. And that's where I think the world is going. I think in terms of sort of bi-directional read-write, you know, just being able to influence, um, just be able to influence the platform you're using every day. That's like easy reason. Like that's what's going to win the market. Right. So I can have something where I have to wait for people in Redmond to like make some decisions that will benefit me in two or three years. Or do I want to be able to change the code right my, myself, write the plugin, write the customization, talk about how cool it is and watch that innovation go upstream into the platform and and make the world better for everyone else, for all of my peers? Like, what does that feel like? So ultimately, you know, open source is just, it's coming bottoms up, right? It, boom, it took out servers. Boom, it took out databases. Boom, it took out virtualization with, with Kubernetes and, and, you know, this whole layer. It's coming through it, Dev, DevOps tool chains with GitLab. Now it's coming to collaboration. And software is, software never breaks down. It doesn't appreciate, you know, software works. So it, we just build layer upon layer and the world can be more open and everyone can contribute. That's just the way that the world is moving. And I think it's a it's a really exciting place and opportunity. So we're so then to to sort of finish this up because I want to do some some rapid fire just to pull some last sort of entrepreneurial insights out of you. But where do you want to take matter most? What's what's the what's your goal in the next five to ten years? We see, yeah, we we see a fifteen billion dollar opportunity. Thirty million developers in the world. We can see a five hundred dollar like sweet five hundred dollar per year sort of sweet offering that replaces a ton of. Um, other tools, we probably can reduce people's costs by two thirds in terms of collaboration, infrastructure, and tooling, and make people more productive. So it's a it's a huge market, and we really want to be that number one dev DevOps collaboration platform. We want, hey, if I want to do any collaboration that's above the code, it's like, okay, I'm not making decisions. We got lots of tool chains, great, lots and lots of tool chains. Here's where we collaborate. Here's where we bring it all together. That's you know, and and being part of that stack for the world in terms of how developers work. You know, that's what we're all working towards every day. Um, and then uh, also, where can people reach out? So if they want to reach out to you, website, social, all that stuff, where do you want to send people? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Ian Tien. So um, I'm happy to take any questions or comments there. And Mattermost is mattermost.com. Hey, perfect. Um, okay, so let's do a couple of rapid. You could you could do rapid fire. You can take longer if you want. It doesn't matter to me. You have nowhere to be. So take your time if you want. But um, if you had to, would you would you if you started again, 
would you redo anything or would you do it all the same? But if you would redo something differently, what would that be? If I redid something on the journey, I'd probably raise capital, VC capital earlier. I think that the board is absolutely wonderful. Some of the best folks uh, I've ever worked with, you know, Ali Regani um, from, from YC Continuity and Tomasz Tungus from, from Redpoint are both like excellent. So, um, and Andrew Miklas, uh, co-founder of PageDuty, Shuet Jane at S28, just wonderful folks. If I no, think I'd walked on the journey earlier. I've never heard that before. I've never heard somebody say they'd raised VC money earlier. It's 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 because you found the right VCs. It's because you found yeah, the yeah, right people. Yeah, part of the team. Yeah, yeah, very good. Um, if you had to pick one thing that right now still keeps you up at night and stresses you out, what would that thing be? Yeah, but probably moving fast enough. I think that you know we can always. It's always about speed of execution. So, like, you know, how can we go faster? Like, what are the things that are holding us back? What are our bottlenecks? And how do I, as the leader, you know, make like remove those impedances to, to human beings? So it's always about okay. speed and going faster and, and not missing out on the opportunities that are ahead of us. What was the um what was the worst point, the the biggest, you know, shit hit the fan moment in in building this and and what was that? How did you recover from it? What did you learn from it? We had a customer that had an outage because of a plugin that was contributed to, but from the community, it was like a small, tiny plugin that, you know, was DDoSing the server um, and just like spilling these log files, um, you know, all over the place. And it was just so embarrassing. Um, but I think that was, we had a lot of, we lost trust with that customer, right? The customers like, you know, Mattermost had never gone down, you know, in the, the history of, of its the history of Mattermost was for years, like 20 minutes total outage time. And that was only for upgrades, right? That's multiple upgrades, um, but 20 minutes in the history. And then it was down for hours because of this sort of plugin that overloaded, you know, certain systems that we didn't anticipate. And we kind of just moved too fast, right? We just, um, we didn't have, um, we didn't think through sort of scale issues uh, and, and sort of sideways um sideways configurations enough. So that was still I, I, it's like, oh, flashbacks, like having a customer down um, is just not not okay. And this this is a this is a self hosted customer. So that was probably yeah. the, uh, the the most difficult, I think. Yeah, but it makes you it makes you it makes you smarter. It makes you it makes you a better uh, entrepreneur, a better company when that does happen. So you know, it's like a it's a learning it's a learning opportunity for sure. Um, uh, biggest challenge you've had to overcome in your own personal life. What was it? How did you overcome it? What did you learn from it? Yeah, I think the, the key thing is like when you become a venture-backed CEO, there's, you know, you have to move at a certain velocity and you have to bring on like, you have to operate a different way. So when I was running the video game company in the early days of Mattermost, we were profitable and, you know, you run a profitable company a certain way. When you run a VC-backed company, you have to deploy capital in a different way. You have to bring on a different set of leadership and you have to think in a, in a very different way. And that, that um transition was took me some time and that was difficult and every you know founder ceo has to go through that and some of us make it and some of us don't so um just catching up and it's you know it's, it's that ten thousand hours number right it's like how do you get ten thousand hours now i'm past that ten thousand hours now so i'm like yeah but that's working you know a lot you know per the week <laughs> um 
but getting getting to be a venture back CEO uh, takes time. And you know, to go back to the earlier comment, I wish I did raise earlier because I could have had more time in the chair as a venture back CEO and you know learn things earlier in the journey rather than a little bit later. So you know, got to where I needed to be, but it took it took a minute. Um, if you had one person, obviously there's been many, but pick like one person who's had a, an amazing impact on your life, on your journey, on your business. Um, who was that person? What did they teach you? You know, I, I worked for this professor in B school that, you know, was a public company CEO. And, um, that person was, you know, one of the best, you know, legendary manager, just amazing, uh, thought leader. And I just, from that person, I understood what leadership could really be. I, you know, this is someone who's, you know, just there's, it's so weird. Like that person could give me a look, right. Or give, just have a look or have an expression and it would communicate like so much, right. In an email, like one sentence was just so high impact, just watching how he would, um, he would trust me to do certain things with very little direction. And I would like, I'd be up to like, you know, 4 a.m. trying to like do what he asked at the highest quality I possibly could. And like, you know, how, like, what is it about that person that, you know, creates, you know, so much motivation for me to go and, and, and execute on, um, on what their, what their vision is. So um, just seeing someone be able to, just seeing what that was like was uh, is incredible for me. It's something I always remember. That person's unfortunately passed away, but um, it's something that's always with me. It's like how good you can be as a leader. Um, I've seen it, and you know how can I how can I work towards you know that level is is something I always think about. Um, if you had to recommend a book or a podcast or something um, that somebody should go check out, um, high output management. Uh, that's the, uh, it's a management book and I think every, every leader should have it. It's got so many basics, 32 years old, 34, 35 years old right now, but it's, um, it's a classic. Um, if you could tell your 20 year old self, one thing, what would it be? Buy Bitcoin. <laughs> that's good advice. That's very good advice. Um, and last question, what does success mean to you? Success for me is is really um, living up to all the gifts that I've been given. Um, I've had tremendous advantages in life in terms of family, in terms of education, in terms of opportunity that a lot of people don't have. And how do I live a life that's going to be worthy of you know where I started? I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it. Each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. 
There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash Clary. That's netsuite.com slash Clary. Hiring as a small business owner is a major pain. That's why LinkedIn is supporting today's episode. You need people with the right skills and experience, but finding them can take forever. It is incredibly frustrating to keep seeing candidates who just aren't a good fit, and that's why LinkedIn Jobs has been a game changer. Let me tell you a little story. We needed to hire a graphic designer, somebody with specific tech and software knowledge and the ability to truly understand our brand. And I started with all the usual job boards, and it's the same old story. Tons of irrelevant applications. No one's really matching my needs. I tried LinkedIn jobs and the quality of candidates was just on another level. People with impressive portfolios, relevant expertise. I finally felt like I was interviewing the right people. That's truly the power of LinkedIn's massive professional network. You're tapping into this huge pool of talent you simply wouldn't find on other sites. It's about finding those niche candidates you actually need. And with the right people in front of you, hiring becomes a breeze. Did you know that 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate on LinkedIn jobs within 24 hours. That is how well their system works. Honestly, do yourself a favor and try LinkedIn jobs next time you're hiring. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash excellence. That's linkedin.com slash excellence. Terms and conditions apply, but it's definitely worth trying out. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information. But Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeletemecom slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. 
This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay, and what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch U.S.-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text success that's s-u-c-c-e-s-s to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with belay 